It's good to be together. I'm excited about what the Lord's doing. And to be in a room like this, going after the presence of the Lord, encouraging, stirring one another, even just by releasing our sound. You might not know it, I'll remind you over and over again, but you actually are a walking sound. And so when you begin to release that and you join together with brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers, and we begin to release a corporate sound that shifts and creates the atmosphere, the environment of heaven over regions. Um, and what happens is when we begin to do that, suddenly um, the treasures of heaven are released. So that we have access to them, but worship, enthroning Jesus, is what begins to reveal and open up and unlock the fullness of what he wants to pour out over a people. Because at the end of the day, he's not so much about this room, he's more about us as a people. That's why I said we're not the farmhouse church. Uh, we could meet under a tree, we could meet in the stadium, we could be anywhere, but the desire of the Father is to fill a people. And he's done that through the Son, through the Holy Spirit, and he's going to do it across the nations. And so we're a part of something way bigger than this, this room or even just in our city. We have a mandate to reach our city, but we're carrying a mandate to reach the nations. And uh, we will always keep that at the forefront of what we're doing because it's impossible to be a people of His presence and not fall in love with the dream of God. Amen. Amen. When we look at His face, when we discover who Jesus is, when we sing about the man with pools of fire in His eyes, when you see that, you're wrecked, you're finished, you're undone for anything else except for His heart. Um, and so that's why when he takes you and puts you in a sphere of influence, it's never about the sphere of influence. It's never about the assignment. It's always about the man with fire in his eyes. It's always about the one that we're in love with. And as long as he's the treasure in the field, then what's beautiful is that he could put you anywhere and your assignment could change day by day if it had to. And you'd still be content, fulfilled and satisfied in him because he's the treasure. Amen. We've got to get real careful. We don't find pleasure and enjoyment and uh, satisfaction in the things of this world. Because they will never satisfy, they'll never fulfill, and you'll be moving from one thing to the next, looking for that next fix or that next uh, feeling or sensation of fulfillment. But the promise is in the treasure that's Jesus. Like the, the reality is, He is the promise. He is the reward. He is the treasure. He's the only one worth living for. He's the only one uh, worth giving your yes to every day. He's not just your provider. He's actually your promise. Are you with me? Sometimes we, we're real quick to come to Him for provision, and that's beautiful. He's so faithful, but He actually is the promise that you're looking for as well. He's not the one who provides you for the promise. He is the promise. Amen. That's why Damien preached on this a couple of weeks ago. You should go listen to it. But Moses was an incredible man who God says, okay, you can, have, you can have the promise. You can have the promised land. You can have everything, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses is like, I don't want that. That's a, there's, a, there's something very profound in that that Moses was like, no, if, how will they know who we are if you're not with us? What's the point of having the milk and honey if you're not there? What's the point of the huge harvests of amazing fruit and provision and, and wealth? Why have wealth if I don't have you? Why have success if I don't have you? Are you with me? He is the promise. And I, I guarantee you, I just, there's things happening. I, I'm journeying with so many people in the church. I know we're in a season right now where you probably find God's asking you to lay down some, some treasures of your heart that you thought were worth living for. And he's going, I am the only one. And that's a good thing. Can I just encourage you? Like, it, it can be painful because what happens is there's aspects of your, your heart that feel like they're being crucified because it's the fleshly nature. But the reality is what you were born for and the only thing that will ever satisfy or fulfill you is Him. And so sometimes He asks you to lay things down. Sometimes He asks you to change your priorities or, or reshift your perspective simply because He's the one who knows that He's... He's the only one who's going to fulfill your heart. He's the only one who's going to satisfy you. He knows that. You're just coming to terms with it. Amen, Connor. That was a great word and really encouraging. It's 10? <laughs> yeah. Serve team. I love it. Um, why is this thing struggling? There we go. Stick to the series, Connor. <laughs> For once, yeah. Okay. We're in a, a series about Antioch. We've been in Acts 11 and Acts 13, and 
uh, it's really beautiful. So encouraging what the Lord's doing. And we've uh, been doing this week by week. And I'd encourage you to please make sure you listen to all of them. Don't just listen to one and try and build something around that. Go listen to the whole thing. We're taking time to unpack it. And it's not because we're trying to be Antioch. We're just learning from them. We want to be the bride of Christ in this hour. We want to be the body that's carrying his name. We have this statement or these three sentences that we talk about. We say we want to be a bride for his glory, a body for his name, and a dwelling place for his presence. It's the mandate of the church on the earth. It's why you're alive. Um, and so you can have gifts and talents. I spoke about this last week. You can have gifts and talents and many things that you think you were wired to do. And they're all assets, but they're not the point of life. And, uh, and so we've got to be real careful that we don't fall in love with our own talents, gifts, and abilities and make sure that we're ready to lay them down at any moment because He's the one who's worthy. And uh, so we're learning what it looks like to be a community centered and built around the revelation of Jesus, around His presence, and around His face. Yesterday we had a beautiful time with our worship team. Uh, we have these team days where we're just equipping and encouraging one another around worship. And as a church and as a house, as 24-7, worship is central to everything that we do. In fact, I want to go as far as to say that if preaching from the pulpit does not provoke worship, then we're wasting our time. Because at the end of the day, when you get to heaven, you won't be sitting uh, under sermons. You'll be in the glory realm with Him, worshiping Him. That's what you're made for. Sermons and preaching and equipping and training is actually because we are growing in the fullness of the stature of who Jesus is. That's what we're here to actually do on the earth, to shine and radiate who He is. He's co-laboring with us. He's using us as a church to reveal the heart of God on the earth. So when we do this, my desire is not so much that you would just remember everything that was said, but that you would be provoked to pursue Him, that you would be provoked to worship him provoked to know him that there would be a hunger and a stirring in your heart to get in the word to get into his presence to receive what he has so that you can actually be a witness in johannesburg in Gauteng, in south africa and to the ends of the earth amen so we're in this beautiful series i keep coming back to that because i'm trying to anchor myself i'm so tempted to go somewhere else but let's follow the lord here um we've been in acts 11 and acts 13 and uh we're gonna we're gonna keep hitting this from different perspectives, but if you can turn to Acts 11, um, we're going to focus on verse 23 to 25, but uh, if you don't know, if, you, if it's your first time here or you are not sure what I'm talking about, essentially the church was birthed, Holy Spirit wrecked the church in Jerusalem, He filled them, the fire of God was on them, thousands were getting saved, and this happened for about 10 years, suddenly there was persecution, Stephen was stoned and killed under Paul's approval. And, uh, and a bunch of Christians scattered out of fear, so much so that they ran as far as Antioch, which is on the border of Turkey and Syria right now. So if you think about running from Jerusalem to Antioch on foot, that's a long, you're definitely afraid. Uh, and it says when they got there, some people had the boldness to preach the gospel, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. So they begin to preach the gospel, and it says the hand of the Lord was upon them, which means the power and presence of God was on them. And suddenly a whole multitude of people come to the Lord. And news of this gets back to Jerusalem. And so they're going, whoa, the things that have happened in Jerusalem over the last 10 years that we've seen unfold, suddenly it's been birthed. We don't know how, just supernaturally, no names, no personalities, just some people who are obedient to the gospel. Hand and, uh, uh, the presence and power of the Lord was on them. And there's this explosion of the kingdom of God in a city. And so they hear about this and they decide to send a man named Barnabas. And I really like Barnabas. The more I study Barnabas, the more I'm like, I, I get this guy. I resonate with him. I'm like, I, there are qualities about this man that I, I'm asking Jesus to actually form and shape in me. And I'll t we're going to talk about that in a second. But Barnabas in Acts 4 is this man who sells his field, his assets, his retirement plan. <laughs> and he lays the proceeds of this at the apostles' feet for the sake of the kingdom. In other words, Barnabas' start in, in what we understand of him in ministry was this. All I know is that he must have my all. And so I'm so given to the Great Commission that whatever it takes, I just, this is what I have. I have, I have a field. I'm going to sell my field and give the proceeds to the apostles for the advancement of the gospel because I can see that there's work to be done. I can see that there's more people to reach. I can see that the kingdom of heaven is advancing and it needs resourcing. And so this is his heart. And I believe that Barnabas' generosity and obedience in that moment is actually what stirred his heart or qualified his faith, not qualified him, qualified his faith or stirred his faith to actually believe for whole cities and regions to come to know Jesus. Barnabas was prepared to lay down everything he had in Acts 4 so that when he gets to Acts 11 and Acts 13, he can be faithful with cities. With me. 
Don't do it, Connor. <laughs> Don't go down there. Um, and he's, he's, a really, um, he's a really precious, beautiful man. And I'm going to pull a few things out that we might miss if we don't read slowly. But he gets, he gets sent to Jerusalem. Uh, sorry, to Antioch from Jerusalem. And when he gets there, it's really interesting. Verse 23 says this, When he arrived and saw the grace of God that was bestowed on them, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with an unwavering heart to stay true and devoted to the Lord. So now when we read this, often you might have read the scripture a million times and you just read through it and go, yeah, you saw the grace of God and then it's so great. He encouraged them to stay strong and true. Here's what I do. I ask the question, how did he see the grace of God? What did it look like and how did he recognize it on a whole community? Barnabas comes to Antioch, looks at the gatherings and the meeting of the saints and he goes, that's the grace of God. It's visible. So I start to ask these questions and say, okay, Lord, and this is the title for you, bro. I'll give it to you early. Grace holds us. Something stirs my heart here. He, he, he arrives at Antioch. This is Barnabas' moment. He's been under the apostles in Jerusalem. He's been serving, selling his stuff, being generous, laying all the proceeds at the apostles' feet. And suddenly the apostles trust him to go and actually lead an expression that's breaking out in Antioch. And he arrives there and his heart is postured in a place where the first thing he does is goes, this is the grace of God. Grace did this. And then he encourages them, and this is really important, with an unwavering heart to stay true and devoted to the Lord. He sees grace and he goes, what you need to carry this and to continue in this is stay true and devoted to him, to grace himself. Interesting. For Barnabas was a good man. And if you go, well, what does that mean? It means two things. He was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. That's what it says. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Okay. The, in the Amplified, it says the grace of God that was bestowed on them. And I studied this a little bit. The right word is actually imparted. The grace of God was imparted to a whole community. And something had shifted and, and created a culture in this community that God likes. Are you seeing this? In other words, there are things that we can cultivate together as a community that actually He really takes pleasure in. And when He takes pleasure in it, He manifests His glory. The hand, the presence and power of God was upon them. And multitudes, listen to this, it didn't say that multitudes were added to the church. It says a great number were brought to the Lord. See, I think there's two types of church growth. Church attendance and then people being brought to the Lord. And I think actually church attendance is a byproduct of being brought to the Lord. But the whole goal of what we're doing as a house is not to fill rooms, but to see people come to the Lord. And grace is this environment, and it's a culture of heaven that becomes like oxygen to a community that not only transforms and prepares us as people, but also becomes a culture, a greenhouse, where the destinies of sons and daughters can be redeemed, restored, and can come alive. Barnabas' leadership qualities were simply to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith in Jesus. In other words, he didn't arrive at Antioch with a seven-point plan of how to lead a church. He arrived at Antioch simply going, it's got to be Holy Spirit, and I believe in, in the fullness of Jesus. And uh, so he gets there, and he recognizes the grace of God on the people. So I want to highlight a few things. Number one, a community held by the grace of God grows supernaturally. In Acts 11.24, we saw it. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. When we come to Jesus, we are held by grace. We're held by His finished work. That's what it means to be saved. To preach the gospel outside of a full revelation of grace is a limited expression of salvation because what are we saved into? We, we preach a, a gospel of what you're saved from. You need to get out of sin, get out of your brokenness, get out of your mess and come to Jesus. Awesome, but now what? See, grace is the full message of, it's not just about what you came out of. That's great. You know, Jesus saves us from something, but more so than that, we should preach more about what you've been saved into because it speaks your identity to your heart. It's like, no, I was actually made for something more than that, which is why there's joy in my heart to come to Jesus. I, I want to see, I believe in this, in this end time harvest, we'll see joyful um, altar calls. 
I want to see people run to the front laughing, hysterically, excited, happy. If they're weeping, they're weeping because they are so undone by the goodness of God rather than running to the altar weeping because I'm an absolute mess. We all know that. We all have those, those moments in our, our own time where we weep and know that we're not okay. Now, am I saying repentance? And what, I believe in repentance. I believe that actually repentance can look like weeping. It can be remorse for your, your sin or, or things that you... I get it. But if that's all we're seeing, we're missing the full expression of the gospel. If we're still weeping, if we're still groaning and crying out for the expression of what He's called us to, we haven't preached the full message to our own soul. We need to understand we were born for something more, invited into it, and given everything that we need to live it. That's the wild, outrageous message of grace. Something that I've noticed about Barnabas as I'm studying um, just him as a person His confidence was not in the leadership of man. And let me highlight this. I believe in Acts 4, you see something crazy. He sells his asset, takes the proceeds, and lays it at the apostles' feet. He didn't just go, let me sell my field. I'm going to make a donation to the church, but I'm also going to label exactly how I want you to use my money. I worked hard for that. That was my retirement plan. So let's just make sure that, right? He, He had such a confidence in the Holy Spirit His confidence was not in the leadership of the apostles or man. It was actually in the Holy Spirit that he could trust the Holy Spirit to go, I'm going to put this at the apostles' feet. So you see that in Acts 4, and then you jump to Acts 11, and I'm going, his confidence is not in the leadership of man. He doesn't arrive at Antioch and go, oh, I'm so glad there's a really healthy leadership structure here. He goes, I see the grace of God in a community, and I'm saying, you stay true and devoted to the Lord. And then guess what he does? He leaves. This astounds me. Barnabas arrives at revival, revival meetings, multitudes coming to the Lord, recognizes the grace of God and his word is stay true to the Lord, stay devoted to him. Um, and then, and this, this is what rocks me. He goes, I'm remembering a son who has a word and a destiny and a, and a, and a, a prophetic promise over his life to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And he's sitting in Tarsus. He's been sitting there for probably about five years, some scholars will say. And Barnabas goes, he needs to be here. So I'm going to leave revival. I'm going to leave an opportunity to be the man, put my face on the poster. Let's take this thing to a whole new level. Instead, no, continue in the grace of God. Continue to stay devoted to him. I'll be back. His confidence was not in the leadership of man, including himself, but actually in the grace of God. And he was okay to leave because he saw that grace was alive in and upon them as a church. See, what the Holy Spirit births, He holds in His grace. What the Holy Spirit births, He leads in His grace and grows by His grace. The leadership of the Holy Spirit is grace-oriented. Are you hearing me? The leadership of the Holy Spirit is grace-oriented. Something that God's going to do in this hour, I feel it in my own heart, and I believe He's doing it in leaders because there's a new breed of leaders that are coming through. They're shaped by the grace of God. And what rocks me is that sometimes, because of the pressure to be good at leadership, we've come up with formulas and methods as to how to handle sin and discipline in the church instead of actually yielding to the leadership of the Holy Spirit who's grace-oriented. It, it, probably sh- it should never look the same each time. So we go, you make this mistake, this is how the church deals with it. And you wonder why nobody feels okay to actually come to the church and bring their struggles. Because what we need is a grace-centered leadership expression that will recognize the grace of God on people's lives. And I'll explain something in a second on that. But recognize the grace of God on people's lives and be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit as to how He wants to work in that person's heart and life. Holy Spirit is always grace-oriented. He has no desire to punish Hello. He has no desire to punish or to expose or to hurt or to harm. Or God's desire is not for you to face the consequences of sin. If that was the case, why did He put His Son on the cross and, and mar Him beyond description? We've got to get this in our hearts. It is not in the nature of God to expose, punish, Can we get that? See, grace, ah, this is beautiful. 
Grace is patient enough to see your identity and destiny in you while you're still in your darkest sin. Did you hear that? This is the nature of the Holy Spirit. See, I know that, that some of the thoughts that might be stirring up in your head is like, wait, are you saying that grace just kind of waits while you're in your sin for you to kind of figure out how to get out of it? That's not what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. Grace is patient enough. In other words, the Holy Spirit is so confident in the finished work of Jesus that He is not intimidated by the time you take to understand it. Are you hearing me? Either, because, <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> I don't know, wow, somebody record this. This is like, I'll listen to this tomorrow. No, I'm teasing. It's actually very simple. It's actually very simple. Just think about this. The grace of God, which is the person of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's the one who, who reveals him to us. He's so confident in the finished work of what he has done. He didn't say it's kind of finished. He didn't say, I, I did most of it, now it's your turn. He didn't say, uh, I did my part, now here's your part. He said, it is finished. Whole thing, complete. We don't get this yet. We're on the journey to understanding this. But he said, the whole thing's done. I finished it. Hello. So he's so confident in what he's done that he's patient enough to hold you while your heart is choosing to yield. He's patient enough to look at you in your deepest, darkest sin and say, I got you. Look at me. Look at me. He doesn't get tired of calling you. He doesn't get tired of inviting you. He doesn't get tired of saying, turn your gaze. Look at me. He's not the God of second chances. He, he removed that whole mentality. This isn't about how many chances. This is about, follow me. But God, you said that yesterday and I stuffed it up again. Follow me. Because His mercy is new every day. What is He saying to us? He's saying today when you woke up, it's like the first time you ever woke up. If we don't preach the grace of God in its fullness that makes you want to flip out it's so good, we're not preaching the gospel. And the reason we don't do this is because we're actually afraid we're afraid of, of a church that looks like a group of people that are talking grace, but actually there's a lot of sin. And the reason why we're afraid is because we are still sin conscious. The church is still trying to prove themselves to the world <laughs> and still trying to look successful, still trying to have some sort of image like, no, we've got to be people of a higher standard. High. You'll never be that without Him. He's the pure one. He's the righteous one. He's the holy one. What we need is a group of people saying, look at Jesus. This has never been about come and look at the church. This has always been about look at Jesus. This has always been about come to the Lord. We're not trying to attract people to the church. We're trying to lift Jesus up because He draws all men to Himself. Are you with me? So this shifts things when we go, okay, Holy Spirit, You are the Spirit of grace and truth. And so when He begins to lead, He does things differently than the wisdom of man. Wisdom of man says, if this is the mistake you did, here's the correct consequence for that. It's why our justice system on the earth is not justice. Because let me tell you what justice says. The murderer gets mercy. That's the justice of Jesus. This is the grace of God. Grace does transform you, but it holds you while in the process of transformation. There's only one obstacle to grace. Only one. And it's not whether you can get something right or wrong. It's pride. Your journey and your walk into transformation and freedom has nothing to do with whether you can get it right. It has to do with whether you can choose a posture of humility to say, I need you, Lord. Without your grace, I'm, I'm never going to do it. So I need your grace. I receive you. You're the pure one. You're the righteous one. You're the faithful one. You're the obedient one. You're the sinless one. You're the, it's Him. Pride is the only obstacle to grace because it's a choice. It's a choice to prioritize or to value your own attempt rather than just simply recognizing your need for Him. Humility is the hard posture of dependence on the Lord. Sin is not an obstacle for God anymore. 
It's not. Sin is not an obstacle to God anymore. He's not looking at it. Ever, 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 ever. I don't care how dark it feels, how dark it looks. He's not looking at it. It can be an obstacle for you. Because it affects what you believe about yourself and about Him. That's why He hates sin. Do you know that God hates sin not because you do it? He hates sin because of what it does to your thinking. He hates sin because it makes you think you can't be with Him. But He did it. Are you hearing me? Grace brings revelation of Jesus in us that brings freedom. See, looking at Antioch again, when grace holds the church, it's built around presence, not personality. Something about Antioch that really shocks me is that it was so built on the grace of God that Barnabas, number one, didn't feel the pressure to come and be a good leader. He actually was okay to go leave for a couple of weeks, maybe even months, to go find Paul, just because he's, he's a son and he needs to be here, fighting for the destiny of sons. So he had this confidence in the grace of God. But... What moves me is that the leadership team of Antioch in Acts 13 is these five individuals, ragtag, crazy group, that when you study each of them, it's like, man, it's so diverse, so interesting. Um, not all of them, like Menaeans seem to kind of still be, uh, he had you know, wealth and money, and so some say he was still in business and in, in the church. They're not sure. Some say, well, he just had wealth and because of his, his family. So you look at it, you go like, wow. And then there's also like, you know, Paul, who's this murder, ex-murderer. <laughs> I don't feel like, you know, the great Paul, ex-murderer. So it's an interesting group. But Barnabas and Paul, who you would say, there's your apostolic leadership in the house. The house is ready to release them. It just it astounds me. It's like there were no poster boys. This was, not a, this was not a personality thing. It wasn't built around a charismatic personality. It was built on the presence of Jesus. It was built on when we get together, he's here. Whether Connor's there or Damien's there or Grant's there or Jess is there or Jane's there or anyone's there, it doesn't matter. Or Max or D. I said D. Or Matt or Megan. Or just to make it free. It's not based on a personality. It's based on the fact that when we get together, the presence of God is there. Amen. Okay. We need leaders like Barnabas. They recognize grace, they trust the Holy Spirit, and they fight for sons. This is the longing of my heart for, for our community, is to, to cultivate leaders who have a heart to, to see, to pursue, and to recognize the grace of God in the house, on the house, in people, upon people, to trust the Holy Spirit, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and to fight for sons and daughters. Barnabas never allowed sin or weakness to disqualify sons. Let me give you examples. Paul is the big one. Because just so you know, you know, Paul gets radically saved, goes into the wilderness for a couple of years, has divine revelation, literally. I mean, he describes himself going into the third heaven. Like he had, he had crazy encounters with God. He received divine revelation of the gospel. He comes to Jerusalem, submits it. I love his heart. Submits it as a son to the leaders going, hey, is this the gospel that you heard Jesus preach? So good. And they go, yep, that's good, love that. And he, Paul's a zealous, wild person. And so within like two weeks of preaching in Jerusalem, they want to kill him. And so the apostles don't know what to do with him, so they send him home to Tarsus. Go back to mom and dad. I'm just paraphrasing, but go back to Tarsus. But Barnabas remembers the word of the Lord over Paul's life and goes, I'll fight for that. I'll fight for that. I'll bring that into Antioch. I'll bring that into a community that's where the grace of God is because where the, community, where the grace of God is in the community, there can be redemption and restoration of the assignments and dream of God over people's lives. You with me? Second example is John Mark. John Mark, you know, he travels with, with Paul and Barnabas and some say he got sick. So there's different examples of what happened, but basically he was, he was a bit weak and frail and sick and so Paul got frustrated with him and said, we're not taking him anymore. 
he slows us down. He, uh, he, whatever Paul said, you know, he was probably like, listen, the guy's just not fit for this. I, I like Paul, and he's, he's real. And, and again, we've heard this story, and we go like, yeah, Paul, Paul was right. You know, no, I go, Paul was wrong. Barnabas was right. Barnabas was like, no, he is coming with us. Because Barnabas is probably thinking, buddy, who are you? ex-murderer of Christians. Like, it's the grace of God that you're even standing here and get an opportunity to open your mouth and preach the gospel. But Paul's like, this guy's not fit. He's too weak. <laughs> and Barnabas is going, no, he's not. And they actually, they split over this. Barnabas will not shift or move from fighting for a son. John Mark, he's going like, nope, no, we stick it out. We keep going. And so Paul's like, well, I'll stick you. I'll take Silas. We're going to go and do our thing. And that's cool. And, and God uses Paul. How's that? You can be wrong and God's still like, I love you and I know your heart and I know you're sincere, I'll use you. So God uses Paul. We, don't, we know that uh, Barnabas, he took John Mark and actually went to Cyprus and did a bunch of stuff in Cyprus. So it's incredible. And then later on, Paul writes, he goes, hey, um, this is years and years later. Hey, send, send John Mark to me. He's good for the ministry. <laughs> See, because years and years later, Paul's learned what it means to be a father, an apostolic father to spiritual sons. And he goes, actually, send John Mark. So we need more leaders like Barnabas. Maybe you're in a season right now where you know that the grace of God is transforming you. But you're in a moment where you're on a, your heart is on a journey because remember, your heart has your mind, your will, your emotions. You, you, those things are coming into alignment with the word of the Lord over your life. And so maybe you're on a journey where you can feel grace is ministering to you, but you have this ungodly pressure that everything has to be like this. And we don't realize that if we don't know that grace is holding us in the journey, then what we do is we become legalistic in the, in the process of coming towards grace. But you never get there because legalism has bound you. If you know that grace is holding you in the journey as He's touching your heart, you can have a confidence that you're moving even when you feel like you're still. That the momentum of grace will carry you way further than your attempt to be like Him. The momentum of the Spirit of Jesus in you, if you'll trust Him and ask Him and just say, Lord, You teach me, You train me, You reveal Jesus to me, He will do far more in you than you could do in your own strength. I don't want to see fruit in my life because Connor tried to be like Jesus. Because it's going to be weak, very short-lasting fruit. But when the Spirit of Jesus is revealing the nature of Jesus in me and through me, that's long-lasting fruit because it's Him. If I have to manufacture it, I have to sustain it. Yeah. So when we look at communities built on grace, what you start to see is, first and foremost, the people who are not looking at sin, they're looking at Him. What, what would it be like for us to welcome people into the church and they come in expecting to be nailed for their mistakes and problems and all they get is, how awesome is Jesus? People come and they go like, man, you don't understand, I'm going through this and we can go, come here, let's love you and hold you and welcome you into the family, but can I just tell you how wonderful He is? He is the King of glory. He's wonderful. He's righteous. He's pure. We're going to tackle this at our men's thing, but I just want to encourage you like, as men in, in the church, and, and as women actually, because the stats show that it's actually it's both. But you, it is not your job to find your way back to purity. Ah. Oh. Abstinence is not purity. Because once you've messed up, you've messed up. I'm not just talking about sexuality. I'm talking about anything. Once you made the mistake, you made the mistake. And, and according to the law, which was there to show us our need for a Savior, that we would never meet the standard of the law, Ten Commandments, 613 laws. Miss one, you miss them all. Just because, you know, the one that tell a lie doesn't seem to be as exposed in, in the wisdom of man as murder somebody. Before the Lord, it's like, you broke it. Yeah. This one told a white lie. This one murdered hundreds of people. You broke it. So my point is, our, our journey, we, we're lying to ourselves, we're deceiving ourselves to think that it's our responsibility and our walk with God to find our way back to a place of purity. 
There's only one pure one. His name is Jesus. Purity is to be in Christ. When the nature of Jesus is yours, when you take personal ownership of what He wants you to be and have, it's called the nature of Christ. And it's only the Holy Spirit who will produce that in you. You will only start to see the fruits of purity in your life when you actually believe He's the one in you. You see, this is a good example with how grace holds you. We hear the message of grace. We're in a situation of struggle or addiction or whatever it is. And then we're, we know that God's doing something in our hearts. And we're getting revelation of who we are. And we're beginning to, to step into that. And we're understanding more and more that you speak son over me. And, but in that journey, maybe there's a couple mistakes. And if we don't understand that grace holds me in that, that he is not intimidated, he's patient to walk with me. And he's not looking at the mistakes. And he doesn't want you to look at the mistakes. He wants you to look at him. If we understand that, then he'll take your heart on a journey and you'll come into freedom. But we preach like, well, if you didn't get it and shift it and immediately get out of that thing or free from that thing, then, oh, did you, did you even believe? And it's, oh, it's, it's the, the leaven of legalism. It's that little bit that, that creeps in and starts to shift your perspective of God. One of my favorite stories to tell is um, there's a pastor, amazing guy, preaches grace, and there was a guy who was trying to stop smoking. And so he came to the pastor, and he's like, ah, I'm really trying to stop smoking, and I just can't do it. I just can't quit. And so the pastor was like, well, you know, that's, let me just tell you, like, man, you're loved. Stop, stop stressing. Stop worrying about it. And he's like, no, you don't understand. I really need to stop smoking. I'm trying. So he goes, okay, well, let me, let me tell you what to do. Every time you put a cigarette in your mouth, you say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm so free from this, that the fullness of the cross, that you paid the highest price for me not to, to be addicted to this. So thank you that... Thank you that I'm uh, free from this. And I, dead serious, this is the story. Every time you put a cigarette in your mouth, thank you, Jesus, for the finished work of the cross, that I am righteous. I am the righteousness of God. Despite the cigarette in my mouth, I am the righteousness of God. I am so serious with you right now. That's what he, this person did. And about three months later, the pastor gets a phone call and goes, you're not going to believe it. I was driving in my car and this thought came into my head, where's my box of cigarettes? And then he thought, when, wait, where did I leave it last? Wait, hold on. When last did I buy? I thought I left it on the kitchen counter. No, actually, it's been three weeks since I've touched. What happened? The person shifted from trying to get free from cigarettes to actually believing, I, he actually likes me, he loves me, I'm the righteousness of God. And so now my, my perspective is being occupied by Christ. I'm going, I like him, he likes me. We actually have a relationship and God is... He's moving in my life and He's touching me. And I want to see the kingdom of heaven established on the earth. I want to see the dream of God. I want to see people transformed. I love Him. He loves me. And then the next thing, it's been a while since you... Are you with me? See, if, he, if the desire of His heart is intimacy with you, do you really think that it's going to stop Him from talking to you? Do you really think that, that, that the moments of weakness, His power is made perfect in your weakness. Let Him into your weakness. Grace is sufficient. How is it sufficient? Well, it's got to be sufficient in your, in your weakness, in your struggle. What He's saying is, it's the all-sufficiency of Jesus that changes your life. This is how a community of grace begins to create environments that sons and daughters get transformed and redeemed in. Because they come in and going, you, you don't understand. You need to hold me accountable to my sin. And I'm going, why would I want to do that? I don't see the Lord doing that. Because if, if, if our job was to hold you to, accountable to your sin, every moment that you're not in faith, I need to hold you accountable to because that's sin. Are you with me? When we say things like, no, I want you to hold me accountable to my sin, what, what we're really saying is I want you to come and meet me in my mess and, and talk about this with me because it makes me feel better that somebody knows about how bad I am. We have this weird fallen mentality. It's what legalism produces is you need to know my mess in order for me to feel like I'm getting better. And God's like, I don't want your mess. I didn't, my son didn't die on the cross for you, for you to come and show me your mess. I got rid of it. I took it upon me. I became your mess. So that never again, for all of eternity, never again will the Father look at it. He doesn't want to look at it. And He refuses to. So it doesn't matter if you think He is. You can wave it in His face all day long. He won't look at it. 
He only sees the blood of Jesus. Only. Full stop. And he's going, can you just do that too, please? And when you do that, you'll see the power of my blood at work in your life. This is what it means to abide. We're not trying to push fruit out. That's not it. Trying to push out the grape and you push out a prune. It's not, it's not it. Abiding means this. All I got to do is stay connected to the vine. I don't have to be a fruitful branch before I'm connected to the vine. I have to just be connected to the vine. I'm not even thinking about fruit. I'm thinking about what I'm getting from the vine. And the byproduct of abiding in Him is that there's fruit in my life. And that fruit, when people taste of it, the seed of that fruit is what came from the vine. That's how we reproduce the gospel. It's grace. So it's the grace of God that transforms us and holds us. And so in moments and seasons like we're in as a church, where God is shaping, forming, and establishing us as a house, we're transitioning into a new season. We've got to make sure that we are built on the foundations of grace, the gospel, that we are held in this journey, in this process by grace. It's got to become oxygen to your soul. It's got to become the very air you breathe. It's got to become the foundations of, of your day. And suddenly you're going you're gonna to catch yourself off guard when you see fruit come out of your life and you go, what was that? I was shocked at my response to what happened a couple of weeks ago. I didn't think it would be that easy. Grace keeps us in the low place and the river of God flows to the low places. So if you want to stay filled and saturated and drenched in the, in the flow of the Holy Spirit, stay humble and dependent on Him. Because you know what it does? It also keeps you in a place where you see others rightly. Instead of seeing others and, and holding them to their, their mistakes and failures, you begin to see them through the lenses of heaven and go, I, I feel the heart of God for you. Now sometimes I want to encourage you, um, when, when, when we operate in pride, Pride leaves, pride leaves this, this, this expression and, and, and fragrance that's not Jesus, and, it, and it's difficult. It's hard to, you can't do anything with pride. <laughs> pride has, it doesn't produce fruit. It's ugly, it's nasty, and it hurts. But grace is in this place where we can stay soft. Even, for example, you might be in spheres of influence and places where people are operating in pride, and it's not your job to change or, or to, to make decisions for them. It's just your job to stay low, to stay dependent on Jesus so that He can produce fruit in your life. Are you with me? Let Him do it. You know, we say this thing, lovers do more than workers in the kingdom. And it doesn't mean we don't do the work of the Lord. It just means the reason why lovers will produce more fruit than just the workers is because the work that flows from a lover's heart is because they've yielded to him and they're abiding in the vine. The, the flow is from him. It's not from us. You get me? So it moves me that uh, Barnabas goes, he fetches Paul or Saul and brings him back to Antioch. And it says, for an entire year, they met with others in the church and instructed large numbers. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Let me tell you, we've got to link this together. The end of verse 26, 26 is connected to verse 23. Barnabas walked in, he saw the grace of God upon a people. And at the end of verse 26, it's in this place they were first called Christians, little Christs. Why? What has grace produced? Come on. I worry when we are filling buildings and auditoriums and stadiums with with the man of God and the personality for the hour who comes in and it's all about he's got the answer for you. No, no, he doesn't. The answer is, is Jesus. The answer is him. The answer is the gospel. We've got to preach the gospel, not preach giftings and anointings and 
It gets really messy, and there's a lot of nonsense going on right now in the church when we begin to focus on those things. When we begin to get wrapped up in our ministries rather than getting wrapped up in Him and ministering unto Him. I'm going to touch on this, but one of our, our uh, preachers in this series, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about the fivefold. I do not believe in self-appointed fivefold ministry. Yep. I'll tell you why. Because that's not the emphasis or focus of the gospel. Those are gifts given to the church by God. And I believe that if, if God's called you to operate in that, it will happen because you abide. It will, it will be a natural overflow of your life. It is not something you have to prove. In fact, I get nervous if you have to say it. You'll see the fruits and the evidence of giftings and anointings and things like that in people's lives. To be apostolic and to be prophetic as a house means to be in the nature of Jesus, because that's who He is. He's the greatest apostle. He is the greatest prophet. He's the greatest evangelist. He's the greatest teacher. He's the greatest pastor. It's Him. And so if He's put an anointing or calling in your life, I can also just say this. We are not trying to fit the church into five giftings. I don't know why I'm, I'm going here, but I will, I'll teach this. I'll explain it to you. Because also, do you know that it's not the, the fivefold ministry's job to, oh, I'm going to, remind me to teach this. Somebody write a note about this. It's not the apostle's job to raise up more apostles. It's not the prophet's job to raise up more prophets. And it's not the evangelist's job to raise up more evangelists. If you go study Ephesians 4, their job is to equip the church for what? The work of the ministry. Well, there's only one ministry mentioned, and it's the ministry of reconciliation. The fivefold's job is to equip the saints for the ministry of reconciliation until what? Until the whole body comes into the what? Measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. The responsibility of any gift or anointing or expression in the church is to see people look like Jesus. Not to see people look like your gifting. And the environment of grace will oppose an arrogant spirit that's centered around giftings. I'm telling you, you can't have those two things in one community. The grace of God... Manifest on a people will not be an environment for self-appointed, high and mighty, arrogant ministers who have valued gifting above presence. That's pretty direct and straight, but don't send me an email. <laughs> I won't reply. Just go read your Bible, honestly, and be very careful. Here's what's, what's nerve-wracking. Never build a theology out of one or two verses. Make sure it is consistent with the whole prophetic timeline, storyline of God, message of the gospel, which is preached from Genesis to Revelation. There are warped understandings and teachings and unhealthy expressions of ministry in the church right now because we've built whole theologies and a whole spiritual language out of a, a couple of verses. I don't see Jesus having to walk around and talk super spiritual to prove himself to people. In fact, I guarantee you he could see the angels and minister and he, he, he had a whole supernatural experience. I mean, he would spend all night with God. What was he seeing? What was he experiencing? I mean, it's wild. Yet he never had to prove that to anybody. In fact, he would do the, the low things like wash people's feet, like eat fish with people, like make somebody breakfast. You get what I'm saying? Our heart and our goal is to serve others, or to serve Jesus and to serve others, because when we see Him, we'll be like Him. The goal of our Christianity is not to find your gift or your assignment or your thing. The goal of our Christianity is to pursue Jesus, to pursue love. And when we do that, watch what flows from your life. Just last thing. Just to, I'm hitting this, and I'll teach on it, but it's, I feel like people are getting free. So is that okay? I was told at a young age, you're an evangelist. Why? Because I encountered Jesus, fell in love with him, and was telling a whole lot of people about him. So much so that they were arresting me at Northgate. Dead serious. I'm dead serious. They cable tied me. Londolozi Security Company, shout out. Great. Great guys. They cable tied me and took me to the holding room of the offices of Northgate. Because I prayed for somebody who got healed in a store that was owned by a Muslim person who said I was disrupting this store. And I was, because I was pretty vocal about it. <laughs> At that stage, I was just a walking machine of like, everybody needs to get saved. So, so I've been that person, and, and people would say, you're an evangelist. And then this is what happened. 
I did those things at first because I had zeal and passion for people to know the man who saved me. Because I was, I was radically saved out of darkness. And so I was like, I really want to see people saved. But I was still learning what that means and still growing. And so my expressions weren't always right. I've chased people down Bondi Beach that, and made them feel incredibly uncomfortable. There was a man running away in crutches on the beach. And I was like, come here, Jesus is going to heal you. And he's like, leave me alone. I've done that stuff. Dead serious. That's not the Lord, let me just tell you. And we go like, and people used to go like, he's radical. I'm like, no, he's an idiot. Serious. So I was doing this stuff because I was passionately in love with Jesus. And so somebody saw this and said, a respected man of God, and said, you are an evangelist, son. And I, I, I remember that day there was a shift because suddenly it was like, oh, wait, so I have to do this. See the difference? One was, I'm wildly in love with you, Jesus. And so this is just, I'm like, I'm skipping through Northgate, like just telling people about Jesus. And then the next moment, it's like, if I haven't told someone about Jesus today, am I, am I doing what God's called me to do? And then I would hear teachings like, if you don't wake up and tell one person about Jesus today, are you even a Christian? Are you even following Jesus? If you're afraid to tell people about the gospel, are you even following God? I'd hear this stuff and go, well, I'm an evangelist. I'm supposed to be doing that. Oh, my word. And so now I could, people couldn't even have a normal coffee with me. We'd be sitting having coffee, and I was like, just hold on a second. Can you just call all the staff? Just bring all the staff. I just want to preach the God. I'm going to stand up on my table. I used to watch videos and go, I used to aspire to stand up on an airplane and preach the gospel to people. How many of them are getting saved? How many of them are encountering Jesus? Yeah, we're scattering seeds. Well, let's just hope it's the right seeds. I've been on a journey with this, so I'm very passionate about it. Because I did it. I, I, I remember the moment it changed, and I've told the story before, I'll tell it again. Sitting in a restaurant with my evangelist friends, we all were fireballed evangelists. Because somebody had said it. And sorry, it makes me so mad. And and so we're sitting at the table, and it's like this is what, what weird people do, right? Let's all get a word of knowledge for the waiter. So so we do. And guess what? Bang on. All right. And this, this guy's like, wow, man, sure, that's really impressive. How do you know that? And, she should. and the thing was, majority, majority of what we knew about him was actually what he was struggling with. And so now all that happened was this guy standing there like, these people know about my mess. And he got so uncomfortable. We were pushing, 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 pushing. He got so uncomfortable that he went to the manager and asked if somebody else could wait on our table. And when that happened, it hit me. It was like a ton of bricks, man. It fell on me and I just went, what the heck are we doing? And I rebuked our table. I was like, whoa, we just missed it. This is not God. Like, that's not the heart of God. And I got up and I walked over to this guy and I said, I am so sorry. What we just did was a misrepresentation of the heart of God. He loves you. Yes, he knows things about what you're journeying and all that, but he's not intimidated by your mess. And I want to repent and say, I'm so sorry for how we represented God. That's not the heart of God to you. And I went through a season where I stopped. I was like, I am not, I'm not doing a single thing unless the Holy Spirit tells me. I have a friend who says this to me. He says, make God make you do it. Because you're just confident that it's the Lord. Now, I, I'm still passionate about telling people about Jesus, but I do it because the Holy Spirit told me. When you walk in and then the Lord says, I want you to pay that person's rent. And it's like, okay, that, that's the Holy Spirit. Or I want you to pray for that person's knee. Or I want you to, but it's, it's got to be the, the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And what I realized was, I am not a fivefold evangelist. And wow, that set me free. I could actually wake up and go, today I'm going to drink coffee and not speak to anybody. And I'm still loved by Jesus. And now I'm in a place where like, I have the same thing. There's Christians that do this. It's like, well, you go to the nations and you just have this favor that just opens up things. You must be an apostle. I'm like, I am not getting sucked into this thing again. <laughs> Because then now I'm going to be spending thousands and thousands on plane tickets because if I'm not going, I'm not an apostle. No, it's garbage. Just be obedient to him. If God's called me to be an apostle or a prophet or whatever, great. Thank you, Jesus. I hope it blesses the church, builds what you want. As long as the fruit is that people are looking like Jesus, amen. You're with me. So please, let's make sure in an environment of grace, our pursuit is Jesus. We're not pursuing uh, expressions, although they're really beautiful and we want to see the gifts of the Holy Spirit in this house, but they come because we pursue love. They come because we pursue Him. When we pursue Jesus, we create an environment where He can be revealed and known.
Amen. If and I'd, I'd actually ask you to do this. Don't pray for people unless you feel the Holy Spirit really, really make you do it. And I have friends, I have one friend, mutual friend of ours, who goes, man, I get up there and tell everybody they've got to go and preach the gospel to people, and then you get up and say, don't do anything unless you hear God. And it like feels like it's a collision, but I, I'm passionate about evangelism, and I'm passionate about preaching the gospel in the Holy Spirit. And I think if we spent more time listening and yielding to Him, we would see more fruit because we would see a demonstration of power rather than eloquent words and speech. You with me? Don't know why I went down that trail, but that was just to... Um, so grace. We want to, we want to be a community that's built on grace. That's the culture and environment of this house so that we can see sons and daughters thrive. Uh, but more than that, that we can actually create a place of habitation where God likes to live. Amen? Amen. He loves... Like grace is who he is. So when, we, when we're built on that culture, he, he likes that. So I hope, I hope you've been stirred and encouraged and, and, and challenged. And um, if you walk out of this room, I just want you to know this. Grace transforms you, but it also holds you. That's, if you can just take that, go take that to the secret place with the Lord. Go sit with him in that, that place and just say, thank you, God, that your grace transforms me, but it also holds me on the journey. And watch, he'll meet you there. I, I find um, the, the pathways for me into that place of deep intimacy with him is when I preach grace to myself or talk about it and just go, actually, this is incredible that this is how you feel about me. And it's like he is so drawn to that, he just comes. He's like, thank you. Because what you did is you took the emphasis of yourself and you put the emphasis on what he's done. And he goes, that's what I paid a price for. That's where transformation happens. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me? Holy Spirit, I pray that every single one of us in this room would leave this place feeling really encouraged by your word, stirred because we've been in the presence of God together and your anointing is here and that you, Holy Spirit, are revealing Jesus to us, in us and through us. And we want to just say thank you that we want to be a community where the grace of God is upon us, imparted to us, it's in us, it's around us, it holds us. Thank you that your grace transforms us into the image of Christ, but it also holds us as we walk with you day by day. Lord, I ask right now that you would bring such peace, freedom, and the clarity of your presence over every mind and every emotion and every heart. And I thank you that you would lead us this week in the revelation of Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would help us not to look to the right or to the left. Keep our eyes fixed on you. We would not be distracted by lies of the enemy about our own identity or about who you are, but that we would stay rooted and grounded in your love. Thank you that every day your mercies are new and every day you're inviting us to follow you. We love you. We worship you. We exalt you. Thank you. I ask, Holy Spirit, that everything we've done today would bless you, that it pleases your heart, that it, it's the place you want to be with your people, Lord. If I've said anything today, Holy Spirit, that's not in your heart, I ask that it would fall away and be forgotten. But that which is of you, I pray that it would provoke worship in us, Lord. Make us a worshiping house, a worshiping people, people of your presence, people of your face. Lord, we do pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done in 24-7 on earth as it is in heaven. Father, over this next week, thank you for your hand over us as a church as we shift venues and as next week is our last one here, Lord, thank you for what you've done in this farmhouse, God. Thank you for what you've done in us and through us in a little room like this. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would so guard and help us to guard the deposit that's been entrusted to us as a house as we shift into a new space. And already we begin to pray for many more sons and daughters that will come through our doors to encounter you. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be like Antioch, a place where the grace of God is, that we would raise up leaders like Barnabas that would recognize your grace, trust the Holy Spirit and fight for sons and daughters. Lord, would you also send forth laborers from this house, God, into our own city, into our nation, into Africa and into the nations of the earth. We want to see the Great Commission fulfilled. We want to see the glory of God cover the earth. Lord, we, we love that you visit in presence and power, but God, we want habitation because that's what you paid for. 
that you would rest on us, fill us, saturate us, that we would be submerged in you, that you could have a home. Lord, make us a bride for your glory, a body for your name, and a dwelling place for your presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you so much, family. Thank you. Enjoy some coffee and connect. Get into home groups this week. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Bring your trailers and buckies and energy. Love you guys.